Hi, this is Commander Mark Devine, founder of Seal Fit and author of The Way of the Seal and Unbeatable Mind. And you are fortunate enough to be listening to T.W. Smith at Kung Fu Podcast. Hoo-yah! Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what we do at Kung Fu Podcast, and I'm your host, T.W. Smith. Thank you so much for letting me be part of your martial arts journey. Since this program began, we've gone through hosts of stories, news, things that make sense, things that make no sense, some things that we're doing great at, and things that we just basically need a little bit more work. When you all share with me your thoughts, your feelings, how you feel like I'm doing, I'd listen to it. My skin is a thick, you know, so I can take some of the uh, productive criticisms. But by far, the thank yous I receive from around the world and people who are listening on different platforms means a lot to me. In fact, that reminds me, uh, I did not realize, I'm still trying to figure out some of the nuances. I received a thank you from TuneIn, a platform that carries all types of different broadcasts. And I got a message from them that said, basically, thank you for the Decisions Calisthenics program, but I have not figured out a way to reply to it yet. So I wanted to put it here on the air. Thank you so much for sending me those notes. I also got one that was really cool. A gentleman wrote me on a Facebook page and said, I really enjoy your programming. You sometimes get a little (laughs) long-winded. And I thought, who, me? Getting long-winded? You know, that's not me at all. Actually, I do know. When I get impassioned about something, I can lay some air behind it. But I'm not going to do that in this program because this is a very special program. The last programs we're going to have for 2017. And it's going to be a two-part series because it was over two hours of an interview with a fantastic gentleman named Doug Perry. Many of us know him as Hanshi Doug Perry. He is also United States Marine Corps retired Major Doug Perry, a father and a fantastic gentleman who lives up in a really small town up in the mountains of North Carolina called Flat Rock, North Carolina. I met him because he was one of the featured guests and was teaching at the Shuri Tebu Jitsu Kai seminar in Dallas, North Carolina just a few months ago. After the seminar, he and I stood out in the parking lot and just talked about martial arts, translations, culture, all types of things, and it led to me asking him if I could come up to his house to interview him. He graciously accepted, and I cannot tell you all how important that time with him really meant to me. During part one of the interview, You're going to be listening for five really important pieces of things that he's going to be talking about. Before I went up there, I had my list of questions. Then I sent out a note to Professor Samantha May, who is in Okinawa right now as we speak, Mr. Ian Abernathy, and Mr. Jesse Encamp. And all of them extended questions to me that they wanted to relay to him, and he took all of them and shared some really, really important information with us. When the interview begins... I'm setting things up, getting the microphone set up, but I had asked him how in the world did he, a man who's been around the world, find this little town that I think was founded in like 1807, had the first post office in 1829. How did he find 
this little old place up in North Carolina. So when it clicks in, he's telling me a little bit of a story about how he found the place and then what you can and you cannot do in some of these little small town communities. Before the interview begins, I want to make sure I let you know there is a little bit of colorful language along the way, nothing really bad, but uh, I just want to make sure in case the kids are listening or something that uh, you know that there's a, a dam or two and an ass or two that kind of comes along, but uh, other than that, it's all good. So get yourself settled in. We're getting ready to start the first hour of the interview with 81-year-old Okinawan-trained martial artist Doug Perry. But this is a very protected area. Okay. Uh, you don't do something out here unless mm. somebody approves it. Mm. Uh, in fact, I built me a little shed out there unbeknownst of that. But everybody knows who I am. So the guy came out and said, you know, you can't have that. He said, unless it's a potting shed. And I said, oh, it is a potting shed. <laughs> Did you go look up what a potting shed was? Yes, sir. Yeah, I think we're good to go. I've got some questions from some of the folks who I was saying to you earlier. One is uh, Jesse and Camp, Ian Abernathy, Samantha May. These are some folks of mine, yeah. friends of mine who uh, have packed pack some questions up so, for me. Yeah, so, so y'all correspond on Yes, yeah. yes. So mm-hmm. we had some of those. And then what really triggered a lot was uh, the fact that you and I were able to sit down and, you know, after I got to meet you over there mm-hmm. at Alex's place there in Dallas and uh, through the Shurite, Bujitsukai, and yeah. Troy Price. And uh, I love that organization. Uh, but the, what, I don't even know how long you and I stood out there in the parking lot and <laughs> taught that night but after that i knew you know that i really would like to you know schedule some time with you to sit down and like we are now here and talk with you about just your experiences you know you we were just talking about how you started you know with the boxing in the 40s and and then by then the 50s you were training and that leads me to one of the first questions and and i'm sure some of the stories here will come along as we go along but Uh Uh, Samantha had asked me, during the 50s, karate was first began to be in practice by the American servicemen in Okinawa and abroad. And so Samantha was wondering, how, how did the servicemen get involved? How did that process start to where someone like yourself as a Marine could get into a dojo there in Okinawa? Okay. Now, then we're talking, I started in 1956. Okay. Okay. Uh, at Paris Island. And the way I got started was I was training on the Marine Corps boxing team. And I saw these, now I'd never even heard the word karate. What would happen is you had guys from, uh, especially World War II and Korea that had been stationed in Okinawa. And these guys were, would train in Okinawa, not a whole lot of them, come back and they would train when they got back. They didn't have dojo as we know dojo today. Okay, most of the the Air Force, some of them did in the Army, but for the Marines, we were always moving around. 
We trained wherever, you know, out in the yard, wherever we could find a place. Nobody paid any attention to what style you were. You know, nowadays, you know how people get so mm -hmm. taken up with, you know, I bleed this type of system. We trained, uh, didn't matter. It did not matter what your system was. All we did was train. Mm -hmm. And down there in 1956, we were at Lyceum, which is the big gym on Paris Island, and we were boxing. This, you know, boxing was huge in the 50s. It was, in the military, big. Uh, I had to get a waiver to get in the Marine Corps. I was mm. too little. Mm. Back in those days, you had to be five foot five or six and weigh 125 pounds. And I was like five foot four and weighed 112 pounds. I was a flyweight. And, uh, but they contacted headquarters of the Marine Corps and, you know, et cetera. Actually, my dad talked to recruiter in Charlotte. He actually put me in the Marine Corps. I had a little problem growing up in North Charlotte, <laughs> a big problem. <laughs> and the guy said, he's too little. He said, well, he's a four-time, you know, National Golden Gloves champion. So they called headquarters of the Marine Corps and the colonel up there said, I don't give a damn if he weighs 40 pounds, put him in. Mm. It was that mm -hmm. big a thing in the Marine Corps. Anyway, I was at Paris Island. I graduated from boot camp and believe it or not, had double pneumonia. Been in the hospital for two or three weeks and came out and I was trying to get myself back in shape. And I saw these guys over in the corner and they were going at it, but they were kicking each other. And I'm going... Hell, that ain't fair. So I went over there, and of course, most of us, uh, everybody kind of knew who the boxers were, and even the judo players like uh, uh, Ernie Cates and people like that that mm -hmm. were big-time judo-type people. But karate was almost unheard of, except for the few military. Anyway, there's five or six of them over there. So I went over and, you know, they said, hey, good luck up at Lejeune when you go to Lejeune and this, that, and the other. And uh, anyway, I said, what are y'all doing? They said, well, we, we train in judo and karate, you know, and I knew what judo was. I heard the judo chop, you know, okay. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, to me, judo was wrestling. Okay. And uh, uh, anyway, we talked for a few minutes and I said, could I try it? And they said, sure, you know, butt on out here. So I got out there and spent half an hour looking up at the ceiling because they're sweeping my feet out from under me. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I got, got up and talked. I said, I really like this. You know, this is neat. Mm -hmm. So I started training when I could. Mm. Uh, then, of course, I went to Camp Lejeune, and there's a different bunch up there. Mm -hmm. Most of the guys coming back were Shobayashi Ru and Ishin Ru in, right. in the Marine Corps, and Goji Ru. That was pretty much, and uh, Wechiru. Pretty much it, but not many. And then uh, I got to. Uh, Went, went from there to Cherry Point, and then, of course, uh, kept training, and we had, you know, guys just get together and train. Mm -hmm. No one, none of us even wore a patch. Okay. And most of us didn't have a whole gi. 
Okay. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Uh, didn't care. Didn't have any equipment. Nothing. Right. You just went with what you got. That that, that was it. And, uh, you know, then I ended up on recruiting duty of all places, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And they thought they were punishing me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, going back and talking about that, I, uh, I have a national shag dance championship trophy over there. I was the oldest person ever to win the national championship in shag, shag dancing. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, but anyway, ended up going to uh, uh, getting orders. I was on recruiting duty and they wanted to extend me. But I'd been in the Marine Corps then eight years. Mm. Never been in combat. Of course, we didn't have a war. Mm. And, uh, I refused, and I said, I want, you know, if I'm going to be staying in the Marine Corps, I need to find out what war is about. Hmm. So they said, okay, smart ass, you'll find out. They give me orders to Vietnam. Ooh. So I got out to Camp Pendleton, and you had to go through a processing thing out there. And there were some guys out there training. They were Goju guys okay. and, and some Ishimaru guys. And so we trained, 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 trained. And uh, anyway, uh, then I went to Okinawa and went through the, all the mess that we had to do to get to Vietnam. And I uh, went down to Agina to uh, Tatsuo Shimabuku's dojo, Ishiro dojo. I had to pay, I had to pay a dollar to special services to train forever in mm. Ishimaru Dojo, okay. about one dollar to special <laughs> services, and I think they paid uh, uh, Tatsuo-san, I think twenty dollars a month. Mm. But our dojo in Nagano, the there was two of them. There's one up at Hamada, and that's where John Bardishevitz and you know he he's pretty <clears> well known. He lived on Okinawa, but. I trained down in Nagina, walked from the base to the train. And I went in there, and the first thing he did, because he wanted to let you know, it was almost like he was would test mm -hmm. the non-Okinawans. Mm -hmm. There's about six six Marines in the dojo, and about ten, nine or ten Okinawans. That was the whole dojo and it was in his backyard mm -hmm. uh, anyway I went in and uh, we had to, first thing he did was put me on the maki board mm. in Shikodachi the Japanese call it Shikodachi the, the uh, Hogan for that which has kind of gone away the language is Hachimonji Dachi which I want to put you actually uh, educated me yesterday when we were confirming meeting today is that uh, Samantha May is the professor who I mentioned to you that uh, uh -huh. uh, did her work in Okinawa and has a whole lot of research and is actually trying to help um, maintain the Uchiyanaga language that you said is uh, Hogan is synonymous with, with that for the yeah, most part. Yeah, that's okay. what. Now, keep in mind that when I went to Okinawa, okay, mm -hmm. Most of the old masters over there uh, spoke both 
Japanese and Hogan. And we, and we, they spoke no English. Of course, we spoke no Japanese. When they corrected you, it was usually with a, a or a, or they kick your leg, and you figured, well, I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? That's that's so funny. You said that the first time I was learning the Longstaff, Shaolin Longstaff, uh-huh. I did not know any Chinese. I was in Houston, and, and uh, uh, a gentleman was teaching me, and every time. I would do something wrong, I would get smacked, right? Because he didn't speak English. Right. And by the end of the day, I kept wondering what this word boo meant, right? And uh, so I was like, whatever it is, and all it, I was looking through the dictionary, trying, trying to Chinese dictionary, all it meant was no. <laughs> so it was so funny you say that because that's exactly how I learned a lot of the things was just a, a whack across the hand or the yep. shoulder. Yep. Uh, so... So they, the the old masters there were speaking a blend of Hogan and, and, and Japanese. Japanese. And we did not know the difference. I, didn't, I still, to this day, cannot separate, because a lot of the stuff that I learned was, uh, you know, spoken in Hogan, but I didn't know the difference between Hogan and Japanese. Mm. My son, Jason, who's fluent in Japanese, you know, I'll say something to him that I heard, what, 60 years ago, and uh, and uh, he was a dad, that's not Japanese. It has to be Hogan. Mm. You know? So I never knew one from the other, mm-hmm. you know, and there were certain uh, uh, things that were said and how they were said that I never knew the roots of. I mean, I knew who they came from, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the roots of because the language, uh, the Hogan has like five sounds, mm-hmm. where Japanese has like eight. Okay. And uh, anyway, Sensei would he put me in Hachimunji Dots, or Shiko Dots, 20 minutes punching the mockingbird. And being a boxer, I was used to using my shoulder, you know, to mm-hmm. move. And he come by there and hit me on the shoulder, and I, I paralyzed my right side. <laughs> and that's kind of how, like you were saying, that we got corrected. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he would, and and we would train for I don't know hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And then he would sit up there and have tea, and talk to us. Then mm-hmm. understand one damn word he said. But he would talk for a little bit, and then he would retire and go in. And that's when that's when we started like kumite. Okay. You know, we'd get out there and fight for another hour, and then somehow I had to walk back to the barracks. <laughs> but uh, that was a very enlightening time. But what it really taught me later on, as I was studying it, the and I think this is something we've lost today, that the essence of Okinawan karate, and this is, you know, is that maki water training mm. is totally essential, mm. you know. It doesn't mean that, you know, when my wife and I got married, you know, I had to, and over the years what happens is your hands will evolve. Uh, some of my students who've only been doing maki training about 10 years, they have the big knuckles, but mm. they're soft, mm. okay? They're softer. 
And I think, and I don't mean to use this the wrong way, that's the Lord's way of protecting the hands while they develop. Hmm. Now, up until I was in my 40s, I had the big knuckles. And I know I'm rambling, but when my hmm. wife and I got married, you know how you put your hand on each other and they take a picture of hands? <laughs> my wife, who's very delicate, you know, hmm. Southern aristocracy. She said, he's not putting that claw on my hand. <laughs> Take a picture of it. Mm -hmm. But years ago when I was in Okinawa, you know, I'm talking about in the, uh, especially in the early 60s, you walk down the street and you hear boom, 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 behind every house. Mm. And that's when they had the little... Uh, you know, little house, little Ishiganto out front. You had your Karashishi on top, the tiles like mm -hmm. that outside, the sliding doors, no mm -hmm. locks, etc. Mm -hmm. A maki board in every backyard. Okay. And uh, now it's all high rises. Uh, mm. You have to almost go up to Nago up north to really see but one of the things see and you can go into into the outskirts of Naha and you'll see a huge apartment building here in one little you know traditional house there with the Karashishi mm. on top of it mm. <laughs> really looks out of place and mm. Naha now or at least last time I was over there looks like Tokyo Oh, okay. Traffic is just ridiculous. Hmm. As I as you were bringing this up, I had done some work, and you brought up the maki maki makiwada makiwada. In the Chinese martial arts, we would use things like a moki pie or uh -huh. mukjong, things right. like that. Wood posts yeah. and things mm -hmm. along those lines, right? Mm -hmm. At least in the Chinese martial arts, it became almost a circus act. Uh, slap a donkey and knock it out or something and they would do they would do the training to a point to where they could literally lose the function of their hands and a lot of my super would say you know that was never the intention of the iron palm training not not that yeah. that is the most now years ago I used to do a lot of Tomashawari okay but the Okinawa's way Tomashawari is a breaking of boards and bricks et cetera, yes et cetera. Right, right I did that mm -hmm. coming up young before I really, I did not start studying maki water training till I had been in karate for almost 18 years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing maki training, but I had never really studied it, if you know what I mean. Okay. So okay. you went to that, you went to that new level of training. It was what, is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. Dick, I never, uh, I had not, I'd done all the other stuff, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, hojo undo, which is your, you know, the jars that you're talking about. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, uh, uh, the actual understanding of a punch. Now, if you remember, Okinawa karate was done by little farmers and fishermen. That's where you come up with your Okinawan uh, kabuto, their weapons. But 
a samurai. And back in the old days, if an Okinawan was caught setting karate, he was killed. And nothing mm. was said. Okay? Their dojo, and it wasn't a dojo per se. They studied normally in their backyard or in the woods or somewhere like that. And the old man would take his son or his brother's son. He'd have a max of three people training. And mm. this done at one or two o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, behind closed doors. But what they were having to do, because the Okinawans could not have weapons, was the samurai was not going to miss twice. Mm. But that little Okinawan farmer or fisherman had to make him miss once. Mm. And that's where you come up with the one punch, one kill mm. thing. So, all of the extra things that you are learning, you know, here, when we're taught the punch, we keep our elbow down and use two knuckles. Mm. Okay? Why? Well, because we are not developed enough to do this. Mm. One straight line. Okay? This, if you try to do it without the proper hojo undo or makiwara training, all you're going to do is tear your elbow up. Okay. Okay? So, there are certain many exercises you do. When I do this, my arm is actually beyond 180 degrees. Mm -hmm, I can see it. If you look at the straight line. Yes, sir. I can see okay? it. And if you look, this is the big knuckle. Mm -hmm. This is the one that ends up. Right. Okay? That's the one you actually hit a person twice. Hmm. Okay? When uh and I don't mean personal type stuff. I, this is to me, uh, you know, like Tuite and Kusho Jutsu for the most part is getting me to the point where it's my decision what I'm going to either, you know, if you got a friend of yours who's a drunk, you're not going to try to kill him with one punch. You're just going to take him down mm -hmm. or et cetera. Point being is with tuite or in jujitsu or, or um, is you're getting to a point where the decision is yours. Mm -hmm. The little Okinawan farmer did not have a decision. He didn't have to make a decision. His life was on the line, okay? Mm -hmm. And he wasn't going to get a second chance. So they developed this way of punching, you know. And that's where I think along the lines we've lost. Mm. People never go beyond punching the maki board. Now, I used bricks for my Hoja Undo training. Okay. Today I will do 900 repetitions, but not just on these two knuckles. I'll do it on these two knuckles, but those two. Mm, okay. I'm an infighter. I'm a little person like the Okinawa. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to get close to you. So mm. I use this mm -hmm. and this. Okay. okay. Big guy, strong guy like you. 
I could hit, if I hit you in the ribs with a fist, broke your ribs, you could still fight. Mm. Okay? I go through your ribs. Yeah. You're not going to cough, pee, <laughs> belch, right. pass gas, or nothing. Mm-hmm. You ever had her separated? Oh, right? yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, they. So, mm-hmm. in the training of this, these are the things that you train through the. Oh, I'll do like today, 900. You know, training this, 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 mm-hmm. even this in particular. So, uh, so we get to a moment since we're on the audio when he's saying this and showing me this. Oh. We're talking about the first two digits of his knuckles, right. and uh, so y'all know uh, as as he's describing this, his hand. You can see the development of his hand when he extends the punch, but there's no uh, loss of fu- his hand functions perfectly well. But when he when he demonstrates the punch, you can actually it's kind of like it it shows the distinct development of his hands for the punching. Exactly. But as you're sitting here with me, it's not something that would you know get my attention. You know, it's a, it's like it's a, it's like it's been holstered up and you wouldn't see it. But as soon as you start to move, it's very distinct that that it, it pops out there. What we call a phoenix eye punch right. with that that yeah. you know. It is very, very uh, uh, prominent. And it's very, uh, if you think about it, if you really think about it, and I know we're talking on the ra- radio, uh, right? Well, we're so close enough. Yes, sir. At my yeah. age, it's radio. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> radio. But if you look at that fist, when you when you use this, and this goes back to Rokushu, if you and it's mentioned in the in the uh, Bubishi, mm-hmm. and, and this is the way the kata's done. All the way through, all the punches are done with this. But if you look at how my hand, these, the forefinger and the you know third digit over, come together, this fits in between there, mm-hmm. and then you close that. That becomes a very powerful fist. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Same thing when you do this. If you take your uh, forefinger, wrap your thumb around that. See how I'm doing this? Mm-hmm. And then grab it with your social, fi- your middle finger. Mm-hmm. Now look how strong it makes that. Okay. Now, this hand form yeah. is something similar to what you see in the Bubishi. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but it is never explained. Exactly. The way that you just explained it to. Because I've read people explain this punch many times, but never the way that you just explained this. Now... I'd hate to take it this far, but when people punch, that's why they punch. Mm-hmm. They punch with a hard hand, okay? I have an old lithograph or whatever you call them old things, an old picture somewhere around here in my mess, dated in the 1300s hmm. of them working on their uh, piece of wood. They're makiwada, but it's nothing but a piece of wood on the ground. There's about three guys sitting around it, and it's a depiction of early makiwada training the knuckles and this, that, and mm-hmm. the other. Now, what happens is, and I think I went over this, but I don't want to be redundant, that for the first, I don't know, 20 years, you know, you'll have the softer, bigger knuckles. Mm-hmm. And then... Mine evolved somewhere in my mid-50s to where, you know, and my hands are not arthritic. 
That, yeah, 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 that's, what, yeah that's what I was saying. Flexible. Yeah, you got a lot of dexterity in your yeah. hands. But yeah. I use Dit Dog Chow. Okay. Which is a Chinese herb. I have five and, gallons of it sitting at my quone. And a uh, hundred proof vodka. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moonshine's what we use, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, <clears throat> the interesting thing that I learned about uh, not just Maki Water training, but the spiritual side of that is that it really, when I'm doing this, I'll do 900 today, I'll do 1,800 tomorrow. Mm. Next day I won't do any. Okay, okay my hands just rest. rest. Mm-hmm. Also, something that's interesting, if you'll notice the difference in my hands, mm-hmm. I am my strongest punch is left-handed, mm. not right-handed. And <clears throat> I am right-handed, but... At Okin- in Okinawa, and I don't know why they use this age, you know, and what I've been told, that's all I can go by, but uh, at 40, they'll back off on their left hand because of the meridians, mm, okay. okay? Same thing with uh, Kata Sanchen. Mm-hmm, yes, sir. Okay. And years and years and years ago, and uh, I was told this by Takamayoshi Sensei that they obviously did not have the medical understanding, but they were doing this to older guys, and they would end up dying. Their mm. head exploded is what the word they used it was okay. aneurysm. Okay. Okay. So most of them, when they do San Chen now. They will do this, but this up here around the carotid arteries mm-hmm. will not tighten. Okay. Right. Same thing on the maki board. When I punch the maki board, I will go in about an inch and a half to you know when I'm extended. But with my left hand, I'll go in about a half an inch. Hmm. But stupid here didn't back off till I was about 65. Okay. 65 years old. <laughs> but I figured that those old people did not have the medical knowledge per se as to mm-hmm. what was happening. They didn't know what an aneurysm was. Right. Uh, but in as I old, aged, I figured if they did this for, you know, hundreds of years, then I better not test it. Mm, right. Some somewhere in there, something is right. Mm-hmm. But monkey water training now has kind of gone away. Just about disappeared. So that kind of leads me to a, a a question. I know Ian had asked. Um, well, before before we move, uh, when you were training, Samantha had asked, uh, were there mainland Japanese folks? Learning karate in Okinawa during the 50s and all as well. Japanese? Yeah. I'm sure that there was a few of them. But my teacher, uh, Nakazako Sensei, who's now, God rest his soul, passed away, he was constricted Mm. into the Japanese army in World War II. Okay. uh, And they moved him up to Japan... And, uh, and and here again, this is uh, different. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they moved them up to Japan and ended up teaching karate, uh, you know, to the Japanese, not by choice. But he told us, uh, sitting around at dinner one night, he said, I know teach Okinawa karate. I teach hand movements, that's all. Mm. He, because mm -hmm. back then he was pure Okinawan. Mm -hmm. And today, fortunately or unfortunately, no matter how you look at it, everything in Okinawa started changing in 1972 mm. when we turned uh, Okinawa back over to the Japanese. Okay? okay, I don't know if it's a good thing, bad thing. They developed into a, almost a Japanese culture. Okay, A lot of the karate is moving towards competition. Mm. Okay. Okay. So in the Olympics this year. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. I competed. You know, uh, I can't remember. I won two or three national championships, mm -hmm. AAU championship. Can't remember the last one, but I was, I think, in my late fifties. Okay. <laughs> or sixty. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, somewhere around there. I, I, I can't remember that far back. But, and Taika Oyata said this, that it is disheartening because my people, meaning the Okinawans, and he lived over here for years and years and years, are moving in martial arts more towards the Japanese. Hmm which literally is based on sport and mm. physical fitness. Yes, sir. Instead of life protection. So, so it's interesting because in my mind I'm reflecting when we were talking earlier, you uh, as a practitioner being there at the time couldn't differentiate between Hogan and Japanese language. No, right? could not. Could not. But you could differentiate between Okinawan culture and Japanese culture and Okinawan karate and Japanese martial arts as it was culturally. They, Absolutely. You, you, you could distinguish those two things very clearly. But when it close. came, but, but when, when the words were coming out of your mouth, you couldn't tell whether they were Japanese or Okinawan. I, I think that's really interesting that a lot of times when we talk about martial arts, as you and I were talking about right. that, uh, that night, a lot of times things can be translated and spoken, but unless the culture is extended with what you're trying to say, a lot of the context can get lost, um, and a lot of understanding can get lost uh, in that in that transition sometimes too. You know, my son Jason, and I hate to uh, say this, but he, you know, he speaks Japanese on a level above the Japanese. He speaks almost on a political level. Mm -hmm. In fact, Nakazato Sensei said about my son Jason, said, you're talking to Jason Perry, you're talking up. Okay. Because he is that good. But not only his language skill, but he understands the culture, the Japanese culture. He understands Japanese culture more than he does the Okinawan culture, but he does know the oh, difference and, and how these things work. But, the Japanese would not, in many cases, and I don't want to say this the wrong way, 
would not come to Okinawa on Marseille to train. I'm sure some of them did. I never trained with a Japanese in Okinawa. Okay. But the most part, back when, never saw them. Okay. And uh, the uh, the differences, not just the, the yeah, the shuttle, the subtle differences. Now, my son Jason, who is an Okinawan practitioner, who also has a black belt issued by the Kodokan in judo. Okay. And he studied jujitsu, aikijitsu, etc. While he was, you know, he was an advisor to Japanese self defense forces. Went to the Japanese International War College. He was a foreign area officer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. he has spent years in Japan on a high level. And uh, uh, he really understands the difference. But Nakazato Sensei is the only person I've ever read about that I have read, per se, that actually said the difference between Okinawa and uh, Japanese karate. Hmm. That, you know, that, that, that the Japanese, it's a more of a uh, health thing. Mm-hmm. Physical education was one of the... sport. Yeah. Where he said the Okinawans use it as a life protection art that if your life's in danger, you know, Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with Maki training. You hit somebody, your hands are not conditioned, you hurt yourself. Yes, absolutely. Right. So we have a, uh, <clears throat> Ian had asked me, and this was, you, you've kind of, with the Moki uh, water training, Ian had asked me if, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen happen in karate over the past 60 years? You know, uh, some of the things that may have been positive changes, some of the things that may have been negative changes, but what's been some of the biggest changes you've seen in karate? Okay, starting at, at the beginning, I wasn't the first one in, a, you know, the training in Okinawa Karate Americans, uh, some of these guys in World War II, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. But we did the very basic. The Okinawans taught us the very, very basic on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. This is a punch. This is a kick. Okay. They did not, at that time, explain a whole lot. They couldn't. None of us spoke Japanese. They didn't speak English, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. it was a very rudimental starting. Mm-hmm. And when we did Kumite, I excelled. Why? Because I had 14 years of boxing. Mm-hmm. So I could really handle myself, you know, as mm-hmm. far as that goes. I just had to start watching out people's sweeps <laughs> and kicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was probably, be right honest with you, and I keep using 18 years. Yeah. 18 years before I started the study of karate. Mm-hmm. So okay. you've been practicing all that time, but that real in-depth kind of study. All I want to do is fight. Okay. The only reason I did kata was mainly because sensei made me do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but my interest was in fighting. Mm-hmm. I came up on the streets of North Charlotte 
fighting. Mm-hmm. Went in the ring when I was in 1946 and started fighting. So my interest was always in fighting. Mm. In 1974, I trained with a guy uh, in Okinawa, just me and him. He was a family system. The whole system consisted of about four people. Okay. Because the old man would have nothing to do with Americans. Mm-hmm. He lost one of his brothers jumping off the cliffs when the Marines landed. Mm. And another one that uh, later on, it could have been a Japanese shell, lost half his arm. Okay. Anyway, he was showing me Naihanchi copy. He said, let me see your Naihanchi. So he, I showed it to him, and he said, what does that mean? You know, and I kind of showed something very rudimental, you know, uh, very basic, boom. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I hit hard. My hands were hard, my arms were hard, etc. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, think about it this way. So he showed me the first move in Nihonchi here. Mm-hmm. And he threw me halfway across that damn cane field. I mean, just <laughs> boom. Mm. And uh, he was about my size. Mm-hmm. I got back up and said, man, I love this. Mm-hmm. And, and so I really then started studying uh, really studying kata mm-hmm. and uh, looking at marking water training as an art and a basic development of my karate. Mm-hmm. Okay. By then, some of those, and I'm using 1974 as a turning time. Sure. You know. Sure. Uh, they were getting where we could communicate. Okay. Okay, just like uh, uh, Yoshi-chan did me. He said, you know, this in Naihanchi. He said, this is not the only thing. He said, but look at this. Mm-hmm. Boom. Mm-hmm. He said, uke does not uki. Mm-hmm. Okay, uke mm-hmm. does not mean block. Mm-hmm. He said, it means to receive. He said, if you really think about the essence of Okinawan karate, there are no blocks. He said, you have, in life protection, you have one aim. But by then, people were being able, we could communicate with them on a, ba- on, on a level, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, a lot of the guys that were going back over and married Okinawan girls and were stationed in Okinawa, they became very proficient in Japanese language. So we got to where we could exchange and they could teach us Mm -hmm. about things. And this is where my, again, going back to my punch and how I punch, Mm -hmm. you know. And this is something that people have to find out for themselves. Mm -hmm. That they talk about a one-inch punch and see them talk about in in China. Mm -hmm. Okay, Bruce Lee got... Famous for it. Bless his heart, you know, one of those. But... You know, they talk about the hand here, and in punching, the Okinawans hit, and seriously, even the maki board with an open hand. Mm. And as, if you look at the punch, and I know we're talking on the radio, mm-hmm. but as you look at the punch here, my hand is open when I hit you. Mm. And then you have this. 
So when I do this, my hand goes another, I'm already touching you. It's not a one-inch punch. I'm already touching Here. you. But when I close the hand and lock right. this down, it goes through. So I'm literally hitting you twice. Ah, uh, uh, okay. okay. All right, that's why when you said it, okay. <laughs> yeah. And you can feel that too, so when yeah. you're doing that. So the <clears throat> hand becomes a whip. If you think of a, you know, if you think of a cowboy with a whip, he's breaking the sound barrier with that whip. That's mm. when you hear the pop. Mm. People take their gi and try to make it pop. Okay. Okay. That's wonderful. Sounds good in a tournament or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Keeping in mind that many years ago, none of us had a gi. Mm. No. Right. Well, we never wore a top anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But um, to me, the change in my lifetime, you know, most people been in, you know, karate 18 years, figured they already know everything. Hell, I figured 18 years and I didn't know nothing. Okay. You know, yeah. I knew how to fight. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, and when I say how to fight, I, didn't, I, I knew how to fight to win. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to fight per se, as a life protection art. I okay. had the tools, and I had developed to that point. Okay. okay. But that's when I started really to study karate and see a whole different way. And one of the good things, especially here in the United States, and, uh, and the Okinawans have a hard time understanding this. Okay, your patch does not look like my patch. Mm -hmm. When we were down at Troy Price's, we were all trained together, and there was probably, what, 10, 12 different styles down there, mm -hmm. okay? None of that is wrong, but what you do is share information with something the Okinawans never did. You know, everything was kakashide. Mm. That means the secret technique, kakashide. Mm. I'm not going to give you information to where you can whip me. And I'm sure some of that just had to do with cultural trust too, right? Oh, what, good God, yes. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I mean, you, you, you know, I, when, one of the things when I was learning Chinese martial arts, my sifu would say, you know, in Chinese culture, you don't know anybody till you've known them seven years. Yeah. And that was a, that was the rule. And so one of the things that we would be taught, so for, for me, I was not taken to the other side, so to speak. I was taught, given the tools, trained hard, but it wasn't until about the six and a half year where he came to me. I've been with him for about six and a half, seven years at that point, where he said, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to take you to a different place at this point. Uh -huh. And the training was utilized. It was the same tool. So everything I had been given and trained with up to that point was still used as a, but he showed me a whole new ways of using these things mm. that I had not. Uh, been exposed to before but it was much like what you were saying everything was there was a matter of trust there that had to be earned through the course of time yeah. and experiences and it was something that you had been doing all along but you never really looked in i know what i'm doing but i don't <clears throat> know why i'm doing it mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. and if you look nowadays on many uh, uh even karate guys uh when they do tuite or something that's fine but the idea in life protection is to get to you 
where the decision becomes mine on whether you're going to live or die. Okay. Okay, and I hate to say it that way, but... Ultimately, it could be, it, it could very easily come to that point. Exactly. So, when we go to these places like we did at Troy's, you know, and I get a chance to watch guys like you, and I was sitting in on your class, <laughs> watch guys like you, I learned something. Hmm. You know, I learned something. Or I see something that I would like to pursue. So what we have here in the United States, and the Okinawans will, some of them will tell you this, that many of the Americans, karate, is equal to ours. Mm. You know, I'm not saying that, not because I do, because mm -hmm. I don't. But from being able to do this, Okay, in Okinawa, you don't have a, a shore and rue guy going to Wetchy Dodo. Okay, now, in my position in the Marine Corps in 74, I was a captain then, but I had a lot to do with industrial relations, meaning the Okinawans. I had Okinawans that worked for me. I didn't know they did, but they did. Mm. So... Most of them knew who I was, and any and the Marines that trained around in Motobu, uh, Ishinru, Wechiru, etc., Gojiru, I go in any dojo I went to go in and train. The Okinawans wouldn't do that or couldn't do that, mm. and I had an open door, not because of my karate rank, mm. but it was really because of my Marine Corps rank and my association with the. And I didn't know I had this association. I had the lieutenants that did it, the Okinawa community. Mm. Okay. And now, if you look at this, things like we had down at Troy's and getting people getting together, like on my camp when I had this this uh, September, you know, I had people as far away from Chile that came to that. Hmm. And had all these different systems. You know, Bill Hayes was there, Larry Isaac, uh, of course, Troy. Mm -hmm. And everywhere, mm -hmm. I love Troy because he's two inches shorter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the little people. <laughs> but now we can't say that we have arrived. If we do that, we just step back 200 years. Right, okay. or in my case, 60, 70 years. Mm -hmm. But we have the opportunity because of the way we can associate, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think now that's available. That Wechiru looks at something one way, a Chinese martial artist, another, a, even a Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, and we can share this because, you know, you look at the Chinese stuff, they go back 4,000 years. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think we have right now in the United States and in Europe. Europe is very, very big now in this. But we have everything that's needed to advance spiritually and emotionally and physically in our karate. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first started punching my board, I did bust my knuckles. Mm. And even back in those days, uh, just throwing something in there. They say, if you broke your knuckles, they get tougher. Hmm. And uh, 
talking to somebody later in 74 or so, to mm-hmm. the Okinawans, said, no, you break your knuckle, you just broke your damn knuckle and it's got to heal up and you got to start over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no yeah, no <laughs> advantage in that kind of so, stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, you get these rumor control mm. and it's just different. Did, uh, and you've alluded to this to some degree, but it is a good question. What piece of information or understanding do you wish you would have had known sooner that would have been of value to you early in your karate development? That I would have taken my kata (laughs) more seriously. I want to just pause you for a moment. Mr. Ian Abernathy, I'm sure, is smiling from ear to ear right now because this is one of the things he likes to talk a lot about and, and really encourages is that a real attention and the usefulness. And if you would take... The what is your perceptions and what do you believe is the usefulness of the kata? What you know? What are you looking to to do with that work? And why would a good karateka or in, or in Chinese martial arts same when I work on my same my tech? Yeah, absolutely. But what what you know? What would you tell me or anyone else to look for while you were doing your karate? And well, you, now after sixty over sixty years in karate, <laughs> uh, kata. Is that, to be right honest with you, kata did not begin technique. Technique, then they had to hide the, the kakashi, they had to hide the technique, so they hid it in the beginning in their movements. Mm-hmm. Didn't even call them kata, but movements. Now that karate is developed to this level now, the study of, the study not just trying to win trophies. I got a thousand trophies out in my garage and up in my attic, okay? Uh, never earned me anything. I may enjoyed it, but I went through that phase, so mm-hmm. to speak. But everything that we do, starting physically, timing, rhythm, and breathing, when we start kata, that gamut, uh, we have, I never saw a count in kata until 1968. You just fell in the back, and in Tatsuo's dojo, you learned this move, and Seun, this here, etc. Mm-hmm. And you worked on that until you <clears throat> came back to the dojo, and then within three or four months, you might be able to get half of the kata down. No counting, you just worked at it. Now, everything goes to the count in the beginning. And, and I'm not saying everything, but you think about it. And it is a good way to teach mm-hmm. a beginner. Now, the problem being is you see guys that are, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kai type, uh, well, Doshinkai, six-degree black belts and above, um, that, you know, we train together or something. They never get beyond the study of kata beyond the count, they'll go, you can tell by their breathing, timing, rhythm, and breathing. Mm. If I'm counting kata for Tim Smith, whose kata are you doing? Mm. You're doing my kata. Mm-hmm. You're doing it like I tell you to. Mm. One, two, three, four, just like you're marching in the Marine Corps. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. In combat, 
like an operant, and I believe me, I, I love operational orders like crap. But in combat, they you know some guy writes up an operational order, and this is the way you're gonna fight the battle. The first damn round. Cussing too much. The first round fired, you throw that operation out the door and it becomes a war, okay? We're in a fluid situation. Absolutely. (laughs) But uh, the study of kata, and in my regret, 18 years I did kata, Mm -hmm. but I did not study it for myself. And now I regret that I don't have another 50 years to really try to understand it. And one of the other things uh, that I learned in the study of kata, and I'm using, and obviously from talking to me, you know I'm not educated or smart, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Hmm. I was never paid to be smart or educated. Uh, One of the things that I've learned from associating again, uh, with kata, and I think here in the United States, we have that. I teach three kata now that are primarily Chinese, Hmm. okay? Kata develops you physically, it develops you mentally, it elevates the soul. Hmm. If you do kata for yourself, you know, Years ago, when I was taking a test, and I had to do everything in the system from go, from boom, one kata right after another, like 20-hand kata, 12, 13 weapons kata, yakusoku, kumite, this, that, and the other, fight everybody in the place (laughs) uh, type thing. And my teacher at that time said, you do Doug Perry karate. You get out there and do Doug Perry karate. Okay. Okay. So what I've learned over the years now, you know, because you don't want to do it for your physical fitness, you want to do it for your for your spirituality, and I don't mean to use words like that, but I now teach Gohoken, mm-hmm. Rokushu. Which and I, I got to do with you. Hakusudu. And Hakusudu. Okay. okay. Uh, these are for guys, really, uh, the first thing you lose in your aging process is balance. Mm. I use all three of those kata to try to keep my balance at almost 81 years old Mm. as I could 15 years ago. And I can testify to the fact that I've seen him do these and he's as well balanced in better balance than many of us who are Quite a bit younger. <laughs> yeah, I was very, very impressed. I mean, not just the, the conversation we had with you and the yeah. and the fellowship that I had with you, but then the actual, you know, working out with you and training with you. That you know, while we were down there, yeah. that, and seeing you move and going through, it was like this this whole package. And when you use the word spirituality, um, we would say there was Shingi, uh, Choli Foot. You know, these styles of martial arts. Uh-huh. But you would learn all these martial arts to make Tim Fu, right? Instead of Kung Fu, you have Tim Fu, right? So right. it was like, so you you know, Doug Perry's kata yeah. is was something that you had to earn through the course of the the t- developing the tools and the understanding, and then one day that the tools and the understanding become you, yeah. and you can separate those two, 
that you can see and go, okay, yes, I'm going to teach you Xingyi Kung Fu. And then I'm going to teach you Bakwa Kung Fu. And then one day you're going to have your Kung Fu. But when I'm teaching, I usually try to make it clear. I'm never trying to give you your Kung Fu. Exactly. You have to, you, you have to find that and earn it yourself because I can't give it to you. Well, what happens in many cases is that, and I think I said this before, that we don't go beyond the count. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say timing, rhythm, you know, timing, breathing, timing, rhythm, etc. Mm-hmm. It's easy mm-hmm. to say that. But in teaching, and this is kind of a funny thing in kata, and this is one of my really great students. He's a rokadon. Okay. I made him start concentrating on at the explosion to grab the floor with his heel and his toes for one instant. Mm -hmm. That way, if you study the bubishi, you know, they say there's two kata, one upside up top Mm -hmm. and one down at the bottom. Mm -hmm. But if you continue to really study the bubishi, it all becomes one focus from the hara. Okay. Okay, so I was making uh, this guy do a a difficult kata, but I said, I want you to concentrate on your toes and locking your heels into the ground. And this guy's uh, highly educated. He has a doctorate. Mm -hmm. He was going... He said, I was thinking to myself, I can't figure out the hell I can grab my toes and my heel into the ground, mm-hmm. etc. Anyway, we got through, and he just screwed everything up, and I said, what's the problem? He said, my toes and heels I locked down, couldn't remember the damn kata. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, 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 so a lot of ways, I, I often wondered, because we, you know, in Chinese martial arts, it's not, not presented in that very... Uh, distinguished way you just said it but it would often talk about you know make sure that you train with the root right you know and have you know some sit like in the root being in that lower part of yourself and most people would just would try to uh demonstrate that as like you were real heavy and sunken but they didn't have that you know that it was it was a uh uh like they would get stiff in their legs exactly Instead of having that, like you were just describing that, gripping the earth and uh, letting go. And this, oddly enough, develops from your basic kata and, and when I say basic kata, I'm talking naihanchi kata, which everything else is based on, really. Okay. Um, when, When people look at their kata, they are... I don't want to say, unless you're by yourself training, they are normally trying to impress somebody. And if you think about this, you go to a tournament, you've got five or three judges, you're trying to impress them, okay? Uh, if you go to a test, you're trying to impress the board or your sensei mm-hmm. or et cetera. Demonstration, you're doing the same thing thing mm-hmm. and in my opinion that is self-expression you're expressing this yourself to people okay then if you really kind of look at it when you do it by yourself 
and no one else matters. You're doing it for self-understanding. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first half of that program. A few things that he really emphasized, a core part of his training, timing, rhythm, and breathing. The second thing I noted was that he emphasized that balance, your ability to maintain a fluid sense of balance, as well as at the same time being able to develop a root. I really can't explain to you the amount of knowledge and training he has in the Makiwara training and how important it is. And the full dexterity, I mean, you just it was an incredible thing for me to be able to watch him explain that work. The fourth thing I noted here in the first hour was that how much he emphasized the study of your kata. The only regret that he had was that he wished he would have started sooner and that he wished he had another 50 years or so to keep studying it. But one of the most important things that I got from that is the study of your forms and your work for a sense of developing self-understanding rather than always working it to be self-expressive and demonstrating it to others. That meant a whole lot to me. And the last thing that I can sincerely tell you that if you spend any time around Hanshi Doug Perry that you'll realize very, very quickly is that he does not let up on the expectation of to continue learning, to continue digging, and continuing to pursue your self-understanding in your martial arts. I can promise you that part two is just going to be filled with as much information, incredibly good stories, and it will be available for you very soon. Make sure that you check your show notes or on the website, and I'll have some links there that you can find his materials. If you'd like the opportunity to meet and see Hanshi Doug Perry, try to get to some of the Shurite Bujutsekai seminars. The next international conference is going to be in April, and you can find all of the information there at kungfupodcast.com forward slash Shurite. Take care and be looking for part two very, very soon.